Hello, Texans. Welcome to the program that takes you inside NRG Stadium, wherever the Texans are. Well, maybe not wherever they are, because they might be all over the place still with them reporting on Monday for off-season workouts. Mark Vandermeer with you with John Harris, and we are ready to rock with Texans Radio. Johnny, I'm excited about Monday. The team's going to be back in the building. I presume a great amount of Texans will be here, close to 100% attendance and I'm looking forward to it. I know you are too. Yeah, I, why? it's weird. I hadn't thought. I mean, I knew it was August 11th, or that was the day, 10th, 11th, whatever it is. I knew that was the date, but I just didn't put it together. That oh my gosh, we're a week away from that. So uh, yeah. yeah, it's gonna be cool. Uh, school is sort of back in session uh, with the guys coming back. So we'll see exactly what they end up doing uh, for that time and how much we're able to go out there and see it. But uh, looking forward to. Uh, seeing all the different players and seeing the different faces and then them looking at us like, who are you? And then them figuring out who we are and hopefully creating a friendship and uh, working relationship at that point. So we'll see. Well, I brought it up because I feel the buzz already. You know, we see the guys walking around the hallways, a lot of guys working out anyway from the get-go. And with everything going on in the building, rodeo, and then the final four, and believe me, the downstairs service level hallways to the listeners look very different from event to event the rodeo is all decked out in one kind of decor and then the final four came in here and completely transformed the place with carpeting and they papered every wall you could imagine and it was just bizarre (laughs) to see the transition and then you still see the medicine balls lined up in the hallway where the players smash them against the wall as part of their daily workout Uh, but the whole squad set to report on monday it's not mandatory of course it's off-season conditioning but we expect a ton of players to show up for that again, close to 100%. All right, my friend, a lot of craziness. And as I said yesterday, the longer we wait for the draft, the more crazy reports you're going to get and people talking themselves and other people into various theories. And some of this reporting might have some truth to it, but they take it and run with it. Are you ready to dissect these recent reports and decide whether they're true or not, or just, I don't know. Have some banter about them. Let's go. Let's do it. All right. First of all, Peter King. Now, this has gotten a lot of traction. Peter King reporting that maybe Nick Casario at two, because he talked to league personnel people who thought this is a possibility. And by possibility, I mean, it's a possibility we could get hit by an asteroid sometime soon. I mean, I don't know how to weigh the odds of this Peter King report versus getting hit by an asteroid, but he thought that Nick Casario could possibly pass up a quarterback at two, take Will Anderson, and then do something else later. Likelihood of this kind of thing happening, Johnny? Well, I've said this many times as it pertains to the NFL draft. Nothing surprises me, especially as it pertains to to Nick and the Texans now because Nick is so good about keeping thoughts inside the building and keeping his thoughts uh, amongst people inside the building. So that you just, you know, I know people, you know, kind of kind of guessing a little bit uh, in some sense, but I do know somebody we're going to talk about a little bit that had both of our picks last year, and he was able to pinpoint those because of information he got outside mm. the city of Houston because he knows so many people, that being Lance Zerline, we'll talk about him a little bit, but Lance knows so many people from throughout different areas, and those people contacted him and said, hey, the Texans are doing this, the Texans are doing that, and that kind of raised his eyebrows as if to say, well, wait a second, this sounds logical, 
okay, I think they could do this. So in his final mock, he actually hit both of them. So his draft, his mock draft does not have a quarterback. Peter King mentions it. I've heard it. I've thought about it. I don't know that it honestly, as I've said, I don't think it makes a ton of sense to pass on a quarterback and then try and trade back up to go get a quarterback. I know that's one of the things that Peter King mentioned. It's an option. And I just don't know that I love that option because I like Bryce Young and I like CJ Stroud and I like them pretty much on the same, almost on the same level. You know, I don't like the fact that, that Bryce is smaller, um, but I love Bryce's acumen and everything that he does and how much Alabama trusted him. And if that university can trust him then I trust Bryce. And I think for CJ Stroud, just hearing what Bruce Feldman's mock had to say about all those coaches and what they were saying about CJ Stroud. It just got me really excited about one of those two quarterbacks. So is it possible? Yes. And I'm not totally completely surprised that you bring up all options because at number two, everything is on the table. Really? Yeah. Um, it's not like we are absolutely without a doubt, a quarterback away from going and winning a super bowl, but we got to have a quarterback and a face of the franchise guy, you know, Davis for the last couple of years did some good things, but then there were some things this past year that man, we've got to be able to improve at that particular position. And I think those two quarterbacks, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud get us there, but, or get to that point. But would it surprise me that Nick didn't take a quarterback? No, I wouldn't be surprised. And in fact, I, I, I thought at the combine, in fact, I said this to you, 24 hours before Jalen Carter was arrested or brought up on charges, I thought that at number two, it felt like Bryce Young or Jalen Carter, and I would have been okay with that. Wow. Now, with Jalen and the things that he's had going on off the field, I don't know if that would fit. So how would I feel about Bryce Young or Will Anderson Jr. or maybe even somebody else? I wouldn't love it. If Bryce Young is available there at two, I want to take Bryce Young. But, Let me ask you this. As an evaluator, Johnny, what's more, never mind need, what's more of a sure thing at their possession, position? Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, or Stroud, or Young? The Jaylen surest Carter. thing. Okay, Jalen Carter is the surest thing at his particular position. Yes, Jalen Carter is his on-field work. I, I've said this about Jalen Carter. I don't think he's a bad guy. I, don't, I think he's a young dude that's made some really – bad mistakes obviously the one that that cost a teammate is his life is is a massive one he'll have to live with for the rest of his life but i think a guy like drew rosenhaus as his agent has been around and drew is not afraid to treat his clients the way that they probably don't want to but probably need to i mean we saw that with one of his clients at training camp um that was with the texans last year i was like whoa Man, Drew does not back down. And I think Drew is really good for Jalen Carter. Um, and so I think Jalen Carter on the field is probably on the field the safest pick. But we know that mm. it, it's way more than what's on the field. I would probably say I would bet money on Will Anderson Jr. being that guy too. Um, but the quarterbacks are not far behind. I think – you hate to use the word safe, but I feel pretty good – about my evaluations of both Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. I mean, I feel pretty good. Now, again, we've talked about the C.J. Stroud, David Mugetta angle, and, you know, is that is, – is, I don't know how that was left. I don't know whether there's bad blood. I don't know how any of that went down. 
And I know that both GM and agent will probably tell you, no, you can't live like that, but you just don't know. So I'm at peace with that now. I'm I am personally, too, so I don't not know. Not that Nick or anybody would care, but I just want the world to know that I'm at peace with that kind of dynamic because if that came into play, that means he's balling out and playing great, yes. right? Well, yes. you're drafting him now. If he plays that well, great. And then you'll deal with that issue later. And hopefully right. with the culture and everything else they're creating around here, that'll never be an issue. All right, let me throw this one at you. And by the way, I wouldn't not take a quarterback at two unless I was sure that I could get whatever guy I wanted at 12. You can't assume you can move up from 12 the way you want to comfortably because you might get priced out of the market. The demands might be too high. You got to be sure that you love Jake Hayner of Fresno State or somebody else that you know you can get. Hendon Hooker. I know I can get him at 12. I'm not going to take him right now, and I'm going to go ahead and take another player. That's the only way I see that happening. All right, that was Peter King's report. Johnny, Lance, you talked about him. He had a mock where the Texans take Tyree Wilson at two. So there's a defensive player. That's a fly in the ointment. And obviously an excellent player, but that's a very high pick for Tyree Wilson, at least according to other mock drafts. And then they had, or he had, the Texans moving up from 12 to take Will Levis at seven. So Tyree Wilson at two, Will Levis at seven. You mentioned it. Lance got both picks right last year, which is amazing, really. But your thoughts on that, that seems a little far-fetched. And if it ends up happening, my goodness, two for two or four for four. Yeah, well, of course I texted him. And I don't think, I don't think the philosophy is awful. I really don't. I don't think the philosophy is awful. I would much rather have Anthony Richardson at seven than I would Will Levis. And I think Richardson was still on the board. I would much rather have Richardson. He there? Yeah, he was on, he was, he went a little bit later. Um, oh, in, in his, in Lance's but, but right. will he be, will he be there at seven? I don't think so. Ah, man, it, the, the way this thing is, the way this thing is kind of going, I, I, it's hard to say. I, I, I can't get a I, – I really can't – just when you feel like, oh, I got this thing kind of licked, then you're like, mm, I don't know. It's the philosophy of no quarterback at two moving up from 12. You have the wherewithal and the ammunition to do it. And so I could, I could see it. It's something I've talked about. I've mentioned it in a number of ways. Like, don't take quarterback at two, wait for 2024. Don't take quarterback two move up from 12 to go get a guy. Uh, here's the thing you mentioned about a guy you know will be there at 12. The thing about knowing whether a guy's going to be there at 12, if you know absolutely he's going to be there at 12, then that means that you're probably the only team in the league that assesses him at that particular high level. So right. I've watched more Hendon Hooker the last couple of days, just going back and watching some things. And I think Hendon Hooker, when healthy, is going to find him. I think he's going to get into the first mm. round. I think he's going to end up getting at the back end of the first round because I think there are teams that have got some some veterans that, you know, Seattle makes some sense. Seattle's at 20 as well as being at five. Um, I think there are other teams that have quarterbacks that they're not totally sold on, that maybe they give them one more shot. Maybe the Minnesota Vikings. There's been a lot of smoke around the Minnesota Vikings and quarterback yep. uh, this draft season. So do the Minnesota Vikings at 23, I think it is, do they take a hint at hooker? Let him sit for a year behind Kirk Cousins? And then they move on to Hooker in due time. I mean, who's to say? I mean, maybe they do the Jordan Love thing. Well, like the Packers did, draft him and let him sit. Now, difference, Love was 21 and Henry Hooker is 25. So there's, there's that. So the philosophy of no quarterback at two, doing something with 12, having to do the quarterback, I, I've kind of, we talked about that a lot. It's just that you have the opportunity to get a Young or a Stroud. I want to do that too. Now, 
Let's tackle the Tyree Wilson thing at two. I talked to my dudes at Texas Tech when they were here for the bowl game, and there has been a lot of interest around Tyree Wilson throughout the league, and the Texans are one of those teams that are pretty interested. And why wouldn't you be? They've got 6'6". He's got a 37-inch you know, uh, arm length, and he plays like a dude with hair, his hair on fire. However, here's – and this is what I texted Lance. I would worry about that because Tyree Wilson has had not one but two season-ending injuries at uh, Texas Tech, including uh, what happened at the end of 2022. When I talked to the people at Texas Tech, they just weren't real sure physically where he was going to be and how that was going to go. One year after you drafted Derek Stingley, number three, who had had some known injury issues, do you do it again in number two? even though he's a freak of nature and it does look like he's going to be healthy, but are you drafting Sam Bowie at two who had a bunch of, you know, foot injuries and a bunch of things going on when, you know, Michael Jordan is sitting there at number three, i.e. Will Anderson Oof. Jr. Now, I don't know if Will Anderson Oof. Jr. can be Michael Jordan, but it's kind of that philosophy because, you know, you think back to the 84 draft, Sam Bowie was sitting there, big guy, seven, one can move. He can do all the things you want. He's a freakazoid arm. He's got everything as a basketball player looking for, for a big guy but his body just couldn't cooperate. Well, is that the same with Tyree Wilson? And you do that two years in a row where you take a player that's got an injury history, and then you saw it with Derek Stingley in 2022 where the injury popped up again. So I think there's too much there, even though I will say if Tyree Wilson were fully and completely healthy throughout this entire process, I really wouldn't be surprised if he went at two. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Lance also had the Colts getting Lamar Jackson and then obviously giving up that pick to the Ravens who would take CJ Stroud with the fourth overall selection. I've got to think that if there's a quarterback that's going to drop in this draft a little bit like that, it'll be Bryce Young, not CJ Stroud. I have a hard time believing the Panthers did what they did. They moved up that much to take Bryce Young. Maybe they did. But I got a feeling they did it to take C.J. Stroud. Your thoughts on the scenario of the Colts taking Lamar or getting Lamar Jackson in an acquisition and obviously having to give up two ones or at least one one and something else, and the Ravens going ahead and selecting C.J. Stroud? Well, there's one other thing that we're going to discuss in a little bit that could throw a monkey wrench into all of this, but it's what I, I – I just – I can't see the Ravens – because the Ravens, all the Ravens have to do, the, the Colts present an offer, mm -hmm. and the Ravens have five days to match it. Well, are the, are the Colts, who have typically done smart business things, are they going to make it a poison pill contract where you, the Ravens look at it and go, of course not, we're not giving them that. Then the Colts are stuck with that contract. Right. And if the Colts give them a realistic contract, then the Ravens are like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll match that. So I – it's I just can't see how he doesn't end up back in Baltimore because that contract has to be 231 million guaranteed. So to make it 231 million guaranteed, you give him like a seven year contract. I mean, is Lamar Jackson, the player you give a seven year contract to because of his playing style and the fact the last two years, I don't think he's finished the season because he's been injured. So I, it, I'm having a hard time. Thinking, I mean, the Colts seem like a logical place. They've always got money, but is the contract they're going to give him? I mean, 
for the Ravens to say, no, keep him at that point. Just give us the picks. I mean, that's going to have to be a pretty rich contract, and that's not one the Colts have really doled out when, yeah. since Jim Irsay has been the owner and Ballard, Chris Ballard has been the GM. And if the contract is reasonable and Lamar says yes to it, well, then the Ravens are going to match it. So he's going to end up being there anyway. So I, oh, I could see the Colts doing some work on it and finding something that might be amenable, but I think the Ravens are just going to match it. I would be shocked. If the Colts came up with something and the Ravens went, nope, good, see you, Lamar. We're going to go take a rookie quarterback with a pretty veteran football team in Baltimore. That doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. Okay, let's go to this one. Daniel Jeremiah, I think this is what you were alluding to. Yes. He thought, thought, reported, speculated, said, hearing things, whatever. The Titans moving from 11 to 3. Uh, the Cardinals have the third pick in this draft, right? They could trade out of that because they, quote, don't need a quarterback. Maybe they do, but they have Kyler Murray, big contract. We know he got hurt during last season. What do you think of that one? The Titans moving up that much and positioning themselves for a QB. Of all the things you have said, that we all the bullet points that we've hit, this yeah. is the one that actually makes the most sense. Ooh. Because to get to 11 to 3, sure, it's rich. I mean, it's, it, it'll be rich to get up there. But first of all, we talk about trades. You have two to tango. Well, what do you have in Arizona? You got Monty Austin for it. Where did Monty come from? Tennessee Titans and the New yeah. England Patriots. So there is connection there. So there's at least that connection to have when it comes to trading. Now, it doesn't preclude the Cardinals from trading from anybody. But the Cardinals really don't want to move from 3 to 4. When they can move from three to 11 and get more and get more and still get a player at 11 that they can definitely have on the, that can make an impact on a football team. So I think the Cardinals would be wise to do it and they, they'd like to do it. They just need more players. The Titans are the ones where you go, okay, well, if the Titans move to three, let's just, let's just go with the common thinking of Stroud, Young, go one, two, in whatever order. So that now puts the Titans, if they trade up to number three, they've got Ryan Tannehill. Now, they've got a poor man's version of Anthony Richardson already there, Malik Willis. And that they needed to give that more time, but they just weren't afforded that because Tannehill got hurt. I think they could draft Anthony Richardson. The irony there is that I comped Will Levis to the Tennessee Titans quarterback room. <laughs> he was a mix of Ooh. Ryan Tannehill and Malik Willis. So I, that was my comp. So it seemed like Will Levis would kind of be a fit, maybe, but I don't know. Um, but I just think the Titans, the Titans are thinking of. I mean, they've got to be thinking of resetting this thing. And if they're thinking of resetting it, then going at a quarterback that could give them something in the future after Tannehill's done. Here's the other thing, too. It's a lying season, right? And yeah. all I've heard coming from Tennessee is how much they love Ryan Tannehill. And everything about Tannehill is just awesome stuff. He is lies. Great. What would we need? What would we need a quarterback for? Lies. We got Ryan Tannehill. Lies. So I just think, I think of all the things that we talked about, I think this one is the one that makes the most sense. 11 to three okay. Tennessee. And then you would go Texans two, Titans, three Colts, four. If the Colts okay. make the move Lamar, I mean, man, holy cow, this all of a sudden becomes AFC South gauntlet. Tell me if this makes sense. Reportedly, Bill Belichick was shopping Mac Jones this off season has been, I don't know if he's still allegedly reportedly, but boy, that has some tasty tidbits 
attached to it, talk radio-wise, because what is he thinking? Bailey Zappi's my guy. No, I'm going to position myself to get a quarterback somehow, some way, some other way. Mac Jones being shopped, apparently, reportedly, allegedly. The Texans were one of the teams contacted. Look, who knows about any of this stuff? It's just so much fun to talk about and to think about Bill Belichick shopping Mac Jones. Thoughts? Okay. As it pertains to the Texans, I think I've told you this. One of my best friends in the world is named Mac Jones. And so <laughs> we, had a, we had a golf outing um, back in the, the fall of 21, 20 or 21. I can't remember which. Oh, I was 20 um, because it was after I had my back surgery, so I couldn't play. And so I rode the cart with Mac the whole time, and we were joking about Mac Jones becoming the Texans quarterback, knowing full well he was never going to be because we had Deshaun Watson at the time. Little did we know. Um, and so we would joke about Mac Jones at that point uh, with my friend Mac Jones. But I'm not surprised the Texans were contacted. It makes some sense. Now, here's where there are so many interesting tidbits here because I can absolutely see Bill Belichick being upset because Mac Jones, I mean, you could see Mac Jones on the sidelines visibly getting frustrated with what was going yep. on, like in showing his emotions. That's that's the McCorkle Jones that played tennis in Jacksonville and grew a reputation as a hothead. And I could see him getting frustrated. One of the things I read was that Belichick was really upset with Mac Jones when he went outside the building for help. Brian Hoyer apparently supported Jones in doing that because he's looking at it going, you gave the young kid Matt Patricia and Joe Judge as your offensive mm -hmm. coaches. What are you mm -hmm. doing? So then what makes it even more interesting is who taught the Alabama offense to Bill O'Brien when O'Brien took over as the offensive coordinator? Mac Jones. Mac Jones. So now Bill O'Brien comes back as the OC to coach Mac Jones in the Patriots offense. I, I'm like, you can't make this up. I, so I, was he shopping him? Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. Wow. I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was angry. But I'm, I'm sure he also kind of settled down. I was like, wait a second. Let's think this all the way through. Right. I, I, I'm going to give Mac Jones, his, the offensive coordinator, a true offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien. Then we'll see how it goes. And then we'll go from that, that point. So I think they go one more year. Because if it flames out with Mac this year, guess what? I've said this before. 2024 quarterback class is pretty darn good. And there would be somebody in that quarterback class that could go to New England and do some things if Mac, they find out, is not that guy. So I think the best thing the Patriots do at this point is sit back, relax, let that off true offensive coordinator work with the quarterback and see where it goes. And if it doesn't go anywhere, so LeBron's not going anywhere, so it'll be Mac Jones at that point that would get moved. So if Hoyer supported him, maybe that's why he became a free man. And now he's a Raider, two-year yeah. deal. Brian Hoyer. I'm thinking, are they familiar with Brian Hoyer? I like Brian. Look, I like him. I'm just thinking two-year deal in Vegas. Is that really necessary? Was there a market for Brian Hoyer? I don't think so. Maybe maybe so, but it feels like looking at Hoyer's career, there was a stretch where he did end up with Kyle Shanahan in Cleveland for that year in 2014 when we mm -hmm. faced him. But other than that, it's been a it's been a Spotty. Belichick, O'Brien, uh, uh, Josh McDaniels yeah. sort of swap kind of all the way around in some sense. So um, it's not surprising that he ended up somewhere in the family. 
But I just always felt that Brian Hoyer would be the perfect adult in the room for Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones. Like, he's the perfect guy. So when he was let go, I thought, this is weird. This is sort of strange. The fact that he ends up with the Raiders is not strange at all. But then when you read what, what happened or what could have been happening, it made a ton of sense. So I don't know. Did it happen? Don't know. Um, but I could see Brian Hoyer sticking up for his guys, you know, being that guy saying, hey, wait a second. Is this really fair? Did we, did we just do this to this young dude? I, so mm-hmm. I can see them uh, parting ways at that point and him going to the Raiders. Brian's, Brian's the adult I would want in a room as my backup if I had to. I wouldn't mind that opportunity in Houston to be a backup if you had to, but I love the fact that we have Case Keener to do that. I love it that we have Case. All right, coming up on the show, Jonathan Alexander from the Houston Chronicle covers the Texans. We'll get to know him, get his thoughts on the offseason, and then let's get to some beyond the blue lot stuff, including bucket list sporting item or sporting event going on this week. Maybe two of them we'll discuss. It's all coming up here on Texans Radio. All right, in the next few shows, next few weeks, maybe forever, we'll check in with members of the local media covering the Houston Texans. And today, from the Houston Chronicle, Jonathan Alexander. You've read his stuff. Relatively new to town. He's been here under a year, but he started his coverage of the NFL with the Carolina Panthers for the Charlotte Observer. So let's get into it with Jonathan Alexander and go back to North Carolina, shall we? I was at the Charlotte Observer covering the Panthers for two years, from July 2020 to June 2022. So two years, started middle pandemic, and then uh, two poor seasons that year, but interesting nonetheless covering that team. Yeah, what was that like covering that phase of the franchise's development? You're coming out of the Cam Newton era, and then, Mm -hmm. oh, wait a minute, he comes back for a little bit. And I know you broke that story, right, for the Charlotte Observer. Yeah, correct. So... You know, we knew uh, Cam Newton was the fate was the probably most beloved player in franchise history. Definitely had uh, was most controversial. So yeah, that franchise was looking for another Cam Newton, and then that opportunity kind of came. They were struggling finding another quarterback. They kept failing and missing. And then the question was always out there whether Cam Newton whether they'd give him a call. Uh, and I, you know, I kind of found out, got a great tip, and kind of confirmed it with the with three sources. Uh, back then, it was probably one of the best breaks of my life, and um, and he came back, and it was, and fans were rejuvenated for that brief time, and then it kind of mellowed out, uh, you know, when they didn't have success with him. You know, it was, it was tough for him, uh, tough for the Panthers to put somebody in the middle, to put somebody in the middle of the season and expect him to do well, but you know that's what happens, and he's still trying to find his way on another team. Jonathan Alexander joining us from the Houston Chronicle covers the Houston Texans and Jonathan Brooks Cabina also on the beat. So how do you guys divide up these duties? I know the fans read your stuff in the Chronicle, but how do you divide up the job description between the two of you with the Texans? Yeah, really, we kind of just split it down the middle. Um, You know, really, whoever um, can get something. and, And we, you know, we also have kind of separate sources so if something may fall into somebody's source category somebody may try to take that on um you know brooks has a really good knowledge of houston sports history he grew up in houston he knows the texans he grew up you know watching the texans so he has that that deep knowledge that i don't necessarily have i come from an outsider's perspective from a league-wide view have league sources kind of um and i'm still kind of getting to know houston um sources as well i hope to be up to that standard uh, pretty soon, but 
um, we kind of we kind of just split it, whatever our expertise is. We kind of like the same things. We both like feature stories. So um, it's it's more so kind of splitting down the middle and find whatever areas, uh, whatever situation arises, whatever area that person has uh, knows, whatever source, that's how we'll take it on. Well, you come into Texans history at an interesting time, to say the least, as you joined the Chronicle during the Lovey Smith mini era, as it was. But here we are with D'Amico Ryan. So what do you make of what the Texans are going through this offseason with the hiring of D'Amico, some of the acquisitions so far, and as we head into the draft, Jonathan? Yeah, I, I thought that, you know, the last two years, Texans were in a tough situation. You know, looking at it now, and you lose. Um, you know, Deshaun, you trade away Deshaun Watson, your franchise quarterback. He goes through his issues of, of his own that were well documented. Um, and, you, and you basically have to start over. Um, and during that time period where there was uncertainty over Deshaun Watson, um, the Texans obviously struggled to get, you know, the coach that they obviously sought, you know, one of the top tier guys on the market. Both David Cully and, and Lovey Smith are well respected. Um, but I, I don't think that they were the top among the Texans list when they were looking for coaches. Um, and I think that was in, in large part, the fact they couldn't get it was in large part because of the Sean Watson situation. Now you have that clear, you have uh, a bevy of draft picks um, and uh, you don't have to really worry about that. And this hiring cycle comes open and they have their pick of choices. It just so happens to Miko Ryans, who's coming off one of the most uh, more impressive seasons uh, with the 49ers is there available. He's their guy. He played for the franchise and he wanted to be with the Texans too. And it was a right fit. It was the perfect timing. And I think the Texans right now are in a situation where they can continue to build. They got two draft picks, two first round draft picks in each of the next two drafts, uh, number two and 12 this year. And and they can really build something if they land on these draft picks. It, it, it is a matter of whether they land on these draft picks. I thought they got some good free agents, um, some quality guys, some some guys who, I do have a little bit of concerns about, however, they have been good at, at previous stops. So we'll see. I think it's a building process, and it really will determine that number two pick. If they can land that right quarterback, I think they can they can have a lot of success. Jonathan Alexander joining us from the Houston Chronicle covers the Houston Texans. Jonathan, everybody asks me, who are they going to take? Everybody asks you. I know this. Wherever you go, you go to the store, they find out what you do. They want to know who they're going to take. What do you think is going to happen? I know you're not in the prediction business necessarily, but I know you probably have some strong opinions about picks number two and 12 in particular. Yeah, I I, I really believe that the Texans really like um, Bryce Young. I think they like C.J. Stroud as well, but I think they would prefer Bryce Young. Um, you know, Bryce Young's an Alabama guy. You know, you hear D'Amico Ryan's talk about Bryce Young and, and the type of player he is. And, 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 and when I look back on, you know, what Nick Casario and, what D'Amico Ryan's kind of look for in a player. They look at a guy's character and they look at the leadership. Um, they look at how his team follows him. And we obviously know that they they need a quarterback. They have to have a starting quarterback for this year. So that's obviously where they'd likely head. But you look at Bryce Young and everything that everybody says about him. He's a leader. Um, he's a problem solver. And the Texans need a guy who can start day one. Bryce Young fits that mold. I think CJ Stroud's going to be a great quarterback. The size would definitely concern me about Bryce Young. Um, but I think the Texans, as you heard from uh, D'Amico Ryan's at, at the uh, owners' meetings, he's not concerned about the size. I think he's their top option. I think you got the Panthers in the situation, too. They like both Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. I do think 
that some of their people prefer C.J. Stroud over Bryce Young, but I do think they have some people who like Bryce Young, and I think that's going to be an interesting discussion. I think that they're also looking at what the Texans are doing. They are, they're wondering if the Texans prefer Bryce Young, and they're going to probably try to see if the Texans want to do a trade. Um, but ultimately, I think in the end, I think everybody will get what they want. Panthers probably will get C.J. Stroud. Texans will get Bryce Young. And I think 12 is going to be interesting. Whoever is the top available defensive lineman or wide receiver there, um, I think that's where the Texans will go. Because I think there will be um, some good value there, and then we'll address one of their many needs. They need a wide receiver. They need a defensive end. Well, Jonathan, the Texans will play the Panthers. They play the whole NFC South this year. And having been at the Charlotte Observer and with insight into their organization, what did you think of what they went through last year in the pursuit of Deshaun Watson and into this year with what they're doing with the new coaching staff as they look for a quarterback after trading up? Yeah, I think they're desperate. Um, I think that they've seen um, these past few years, particularly David Tepper's time um, since parting ways with Cam Newton, that um, you can't um, win without the quarterback. And, you know, last year was a little bit of an impossible situation. Um, they picked eight, and there were not many high-ranking quarterbacks in that draft. But this year, um, I think the thought is that there are at least two starting caliber quarterbacks, C.J. Stroud and and um, and um, Bryce Young, and possibly Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, who are a little bit more of kind of, you know, wild cards. I, I think that, you know, they think that this is the time now that they can do that, and they're tired of, of – of, you know, playing all these kind of games and, and, and taking all these chances and, and, and rentals and, and they want to get it right now. And I think it, it, it probably made the most sense. Like you want to trade up to get the best possible option and, and having a number one pick allows them to get the best possible option. And I think the Texans are in just as good of a situation because I don't think that there's that much of a gap in, in between CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. I think both of those guys from everybody I've talked to from the film I've watched, both of those guys seem like they have potential health providing can be solid pros. Jonathan Alexander with the Houston Chronicle with us. Jonathan, you mentioned it. Outside looking in, you get to Houston. You're a young man living here now covering the Texans. What do you think of Houston as a sports town and as a town in general, as a place to live? Um, as a sports town, I think they're a passionate fan base who will make it known when they're not pleased uh, with, uh, you know, the product on the field. You know, the Rockets obviously haven't been good. Um, in the past few years since James Harden left, Texans haven't been good. But, you know, when they have some hope, you know, they'll ride for their team. You can see the kind of the excitement building up around D'Amico Ryans, um, and, and the hope is there. Um, so I think it's definitely a passionate, um, you know, fan base. And the Astros, of course, have crazy fans. Like, they are they are definitely passionate. I'm I'm, I'm personally a Braves fan, so I get in, in a lot of forks <laughs> with Astros fans. I think it's, it's fun. Um, Houston as a, as a city in general is great, man. I love it. Um, you know, my sister had been here for six, seven years. So I got a chance to, to come a little bit, but never got a chance to really dive into it. Like I have now. And I think it's great. The food is awesome. Um, I do have a differing opinion on, on burgers and uh, fast food restaurants. Water burger is not my taste, but you know, the Tex-Mex that, that, <laughs> that, um, that Houston has, um, the sushi, the all the the different type of cuisines, Mexican food. I love it here. Um, it's been great so far. All right. So where were you at before the Charlotte Observer? 
So before the Charlotte Observer, I was at the News and Observer in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I spent the first uh, seven years of my career there doing various beats from news to college basketball, covered Duke and Carolina uh, for a number of years. All right. Well, it's great to visit with you. Look forward to seeing you around the circuit here. And I know we'll do some more talking and uh, best of luck covering the draft, Jonathan. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mark. A great visit with Jonathan Alexander of the Houston Chronicle there. All right, let's get back into it with John Harris. We'll go beyond the blue lot, talk Final Four, Jim Nance, maybe some Masters and some other stuff next here on Texans Radio. Our final segment here on Texans Radio. Hope you're having a good day. Hope you're having a better day than Michael Bidwell and the Arizona Cardinals. Anyway, let's get to some stories here as John Harris rejoins us on the program. Johnny, first of all, Final Four in the books. We mentioned it. They're moving out out of the building here which is kind of nice for us to see so we can get our building back or parts of it, including the Hyundai Texans Radio Pure Studio that CBS was using during the Final Four. It's over. Jim Nance calls his last Final Four, but he's on his way to Augusta, so there's that for him. Lives a nice life as a broadcaster. Uh, Do you have any kind of sentimental feelings about Nance not doing the Final Four anymore? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I appreciate what Jim has always done. And, and that's great. He's always given gravitas to the event, whichever event he has called. And so I, I wish him, wish him well, he's still going to be doing the master. As far as I know, he's still going to be doing the NFL. He's going to stay busy. He's just taking one element off his plate. And by the way, uh, Ian Eagle is going to be doing that going forward. And I thought, and I love Jim Nance. I thought during the tournament, I thought Ian Eagle was outstanding. I thought Brian Anderson and Jim Jackson together were incredibly good. So yep. I think they're moving upward, moving onward. I think Ian Eagle is one of the best in the game. I think his son is going to be extremely good. It's hard to tell the difference between the two. So uh, I, Jim Nance, thank you. Cause he gave, he gave the event uh, the, the gravitas it needed. And so uh, all of them, all the way through this one, especially one that took place in where he went to, college right here in his hometown of Houston. So it was good. Thumbs up, but I'm ready for Iron Eagle stepping into that role. I think Nance is so elite at golf. He's so much better than everybody else at that sport. The other sports, it's hard to be better or that much better than everybody else. Right. And that's nothing against him at all. He's amazing. Uh, But in golf, it's just another level. It's another level of excellence and delivery and the masters this week, Johnny. And I want to ask you this. Because Drew Doherty, I saw his screen up, and we were just talking about what was on it, and he had all the prices of the food at Augusta National. Now, maybe this is me (laughs) being jelly and bitter that I'm not there, but when they make such a big deal about pimento cheese sandwiches only costing $1.50, I kind of want to vomit a little bit because I'm thinking, (laughs) yeah, so what? You still got to get there to Augusta National. Don't dangle that in front of me like I can just take a drive and walk into the grounds and order myself a pimento <laughs> cheese sandwich for a buck fifty. I still right. have to fly there, get tickets, stay somewhere. It's it's mortgage busting, Brinks truck rolling stuff to get to Augusta National. So big deal that the food is cheap. Your thoughts? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, I'm like that's great if you can get in. I mean, that's that's uh, that's fantastic. I mean. It's definitely an event I'd love to be able to go to one day, but getting in, I mean, the number of people that I've known for years that are like, man, I've been in the lottery or whatever the system is for 20 years and I've never gotten tickets or whatever. And 
I mean, to have seen Tiger Woods at Augusta must have been just incredible, must be incredible. But I, this is just an event, really. Um, it could be a bunch of schmoes out there, but mm-hmm. it's just it's Augusta, and it's so it's just awesome. It's really awesome, and I think when you win there or you compete at a high level there, it makes you. And so hopefully there'll be some players that we go in there and go, wait, who's that? And at the end of it, we're going, oh, yeah, I'm big fans of this particular golfer. So that to me is what I always look forward to the Masters. It's always fun when you get the heavyweights going at it. But it, it, I love it when there's somebody that steps up and you're like, wait, who's that guy? I don't love him, but he keeps making shots at Augusta. So I like that. But if I ever get in one day, yeah, I have a pimento cheese sandwich, a Wonder Bread or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I only like the no-name doing well if he backs it up and becomes a success and everything else, Yeah, true. right? Yeah, I don't like these one-hit wonders at the Masters. Don't ruin my Sunday with some one-hit wonder and have him never do anything else again, Danny Willett. Don't ever do that, Mike Weir. I know he's done a few things, but come on. I want somebody who's going to become a long-term star. By the way, 18 live golfers in the field, including six former champs, who are having, I guess the dinner is tonight, right? The champion's dinner. So they're having dinner with the PGA players tonight. This is going to be awesome. You want to talk about reality television, that would be something. All right, a couple of other final uh, Beyond the Blue Lot notes here on Texans Radio. So with the Final Four being here, women's hoops, we've been talking about that as well. We would be talking about that anyway because everybody is. And I just think that number that they got, for the championship is so impressive uh, beats the Thursday night, Amazon TV total viewer average, which is really tremendous, but I know it's not apples to apples. You have over the air television versus a, a streamer. And that was the first year of it. Still it's women's basketball, Johnny. I thought that was really something. And if there was no WNBA in existence, they'd be talking about one right now based on these TV numbers that the regional finals and the finals got. I'm impressed and I'm eager to see what they do with it. Your thoughts. Yeah. I, I think helping the event obviously is a, a player, of the caliber of Caitlin Clark, having somebody at that level. She handled that, it well, by the way, the, uh, the pushback, the backlash. I mean, she said, she, I said, I don't blame anybody on LSU's team. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, competitive. She, I do absolutely. the same stuff. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Exactly. And it's funny when you actually go to the person who did the act and you realize, oh, yeah, she didn't have any issue with it. Then why yeah. should we? But right. it was it was incredible. I mean, I, I watched that game from beginning to end and watching her play, but watching the way that they shared the basketball, the shot making, the shot making was unbelievable. I mean, LSU yeah. got hot, but I it was a really fun game to watch. I've watched the final, the uh, LSU, not LSU, the South Carolina, Iowa game. I saw the last kind of part of that. I just was, I was enthralled, but I, I have been for a while. I, I love watching women's college basketball. I, I have for a long time, dating back to my days in college. I loved going, I watched almost every one of the games that uh, my friends played um, that, you know, were on that women's team and they were good. So it was always fun at that point to see him. So not too surprised. And uh, hopefully Caitlin Clark and Iowa and LSU will meet next year. Hey, I'm former play-by-play of the Penn State Lady Lions, they called them then. Former number one team in the country in uh, a long time ago. That's all (laughs) I'll say about that. Johnny, thanks a lot. Looking forward to tomorrow, Draft Wednesday. Every day's a draft day as we get ready for the draft, which is three weeks from Thursday. 
Thanks a lot for listening, everyone. Thank you, Chris, for producing. Go Texans!